Hey there, and welcome to the Dynamics Hot Dish Podcast, serving up stories and knowledge on Dynamics 365 and the Power Platform. This is what's hot in Dynamics. You're now joining Merlin Schweiger, Liz McGlennon, and Ashley Steiner. So did you guys uh, know that like side parts are now um, like what people consider like the mom jeans of the 90s, like what women wore in the 80s? Did you know that? No. (laughs) Yeah. So like apparently um, old people have side parts and they wear skinny jeans. And so like Gen Z, the generation I would assume is behind all of us, um, they've associated that with old people. So like they are now like moving everything to a middle part and they don't want to have anything to do with skinny jeans. And I, it makes me feel really old. How do you know this, Ashley? Oh, on on TikTok. (laughs) I have a slight addiction. I'm just glad that now the two of you can feel a little bit old since I'm pretty sure we made fun of me being old previously. Well, but Liz doesn't have a side part. Not anymore. I've moved on without even realizing that it was a trend. (laughs) But I can't have a middle part because like I have a calic right here. So like if I moved it, it would like, it's going to look weird. Are you going to show us, Ashley? Yeah, I can show you. (laughs) So for all the people listening to this, like I'm parting my hair in the middle and you can see the left side is like buoyant. Buoyant is, I think, a good way to describe it. Yes. (laughs) So we're not doing the middle part here. But the skinny jeans, I don't understand. Like, how do you wear boots in the winter if you don't have skinny jeans? Yeah, I was going to say, so what is in style if it's from a jean perspective, if it's not skinny jeans? high rise flared jeans. I don't know because they make fun of the low rise too. Yeah. I've noticed high rise obviously, but then like it, it seems like they're really short kind of like, they're almost like high water looking pants. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not, it does not, it looks super bad. (laughs) (laughs) But I think everyone has their preferences, but I mean, because maybe we're so against it. That's why Gen Z is so for it because they consider us old now. Like we considered or like the 90s mom jeans were considered old because of how they were popular in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Which is funny because I remember when I thought I would never even wear skinny jeans. Like back yeah. in the day, I was like, when they were new, I was like, I'm never going to wear these. And then you adjust. But I feel like the short like crap pants and high water or like the high water and high waisted pants are bad for my body type too. Like I'm so short. I feel like they look better on like taller people. Yeah. And what kind of shoes do you wear with that? Like I wouldn't even know what kind of shoes to wear with like because I'm so short, maybe my jeans have always just been too long and it covers my shoes, but. I think you wear whatever shoes you want. It's weird. Like those loafer things are in style too. And they make me think of my grandma. <laughs> have you seen those? Like what kind of loafers? Like the Minnetonka sandals or like different than that? No, like not, not sandals, moccasins. Okay, more not like moccasins. Lo- loafers, like slip on kind of. Not like ballet slipper flats. Like I think those have moved on too. Like they're something new. Do they, um, so like it's not just for in the house? Cause I feel like what no. you just described is what I wear around the house. No, it's, oh, okay. out, yeah, like outside. Wow. I'll send you a picture. This after. whole conversation <laughs> is making me feel just old though. But I will say, I think something that's come back and say are like those real chunky, like platform type of shoes. And those remind me of the nineties. Yeah. Or like early I just bought some vans that like the like bottom of them is a lot thicker than like the normal ones and it was totally like a 90s moment. Oh this is awesome. Mm-hmm. I have so much to contribute to this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> what about your wife Marilyn? Does she have a side or middle part? 
Um, he doesn't know. <laughs> no, it's got to be side. It's got to be side. Yeah, so she'll feel like I do. Like I, it's what you grew up with. I mean, you trained your hair for what years to side part. There's no way people are gonna like the pain it's of going back. It's super easy to switch back. Yeah. Okay. You don't have a calic on your forehead, Liz. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So what we're gonna talk about today, other than uh, how we are now old in the eyes of Gen Z, um, we're gonna talk about sales insights. And, Yay. Uh, yeah. And how fit you guys in the different areas. Um, what do you guys think about it? Like, what are your thoughts on like the whole sales insight rollout and the use of it? Mm. I feel like it's, it's good that Microsoft has finally started adding more to the sales module. Cause I feel like for the most part, sales hasn't changed in uh, years. Um, I guess I find limited value in some of the tools and I find more value in some of the others. And I think like, I can see a lot of, I don't know, like like headroom for them to expand a lot of those capabilities, like especially the, the premium features, like the AI driven stuff. Um, I guess I don't, I don't have any end sales users telling me whether or not they find value in those relationship assistant cards, but uh, I don't know if either of you like I don't know if anybody uses those, but I could see potential there. I'm just not sure that it's there yet. Well, I think if you're going to use the relationship assistant cards, you probably want the premium version so that you can do custom cards. Like, I don't know how much the out of the box ones match like business processes if you're not doing a very traditional kind of sales implementation. Like if you're XRM at all or non-traditional at all, I could see you needing custom cards. And that's a really good point because I've looked into those before um, and I was lucky enough at a company where they did have the custom and you could create whatever you wanted. Um, but then you have to use Power Automate to actually automate them. So it kind of goes into that whole um, conversation about how Microsoft is interconnecting all of the tools to make a full solution. So depending on what your access is to Power Automate or even just your knowledge on it, um, the custom cards might be difficult to create. And Merlin, you had said that like you haven't found a lot of use for them. I'm actually working rolling them out now to our salespeople because they want notifications. So it's like, um, you know, this is the way, and I'm like, well, I'm not going to send you an email because like for everything that happens in the system, we'll just start auto forwarding them to a, a, a folder in Outlook. So we're going to try that as like the, um, the option for notifications. I, yeah, I think that's a great idea for the, I want to be notified when, or I want a reminder instead of doing the email reminder to drive them to a dashboard with the relationship assistant, or it's actually called guided selling now mm -hmm. on there, or like have it on your, your forms for your key records. Like I could see that being helpful. Yeah. That's yeah. a really good use case. Yeah. And then it drives, continues to drive them to dynamics rather than like relying mm -hmm. on multiple systems or tools. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. What about anything else? I know that like the assistant has, I feel like that's one been the one that's been out the longest. Um, it was like the relationship assistant before and it's kind of grown. Any of the other ones stand out to you guys as 
good tools. I like the auto capture and the email engagement. I like that it comes yeah. with like free with the base, like of the regular enterprise CE license. Um, I think we've, we went so long without having email analytics in the system that this is like marketing bulk email analytics, but it would be nice to know as a salesperson, like, did they open the email? You know, did they click on the link? Did they look at the attachment? Like, I think that would be really beneficial from a salesperson perspective. Um, now I think it does shift. Like people are really used to emailing out of Outlook and we've always said like, Hey, you can still email out of Outlook and just track your emails, but that doesn't give you the analytics then. So I've, I'm curious to know if like people will kind of start emailing more directly out of CE to get that information. I'll say that's one of the reasons I've never rolled it out. Um, it's always been on my list of like, Hey, this could be so beneficial because it's what salespeople ask for, mm -hmm. but I can't imagine trying to teach them a new way to email. You know, everyone's been using Outlook yeah. since the nineties, you know, it, I just can't imagine being like, okay, well, if you want to track this email, or if you want to get analytics, you have to go here instead of here. Like, I just think it adds the confusion. So I haven't been able to find how to get over that hump yet. So I don't know, Marilyn, if you have any tips. I was going to say, I feel like for the email engagement, I wouldn't be surprised if Microsoft brings that closer together in the future. Like, I, I feel like I keep seeing new feature, like announcements that are enhancing the things that Outlook and Exchange can do. And like the, the auto capture is bringing Dynamics and Exchange closer and closer together. So I guess I wouldn't be surprised if it's like someday maybe that email engagement tracking stuff will be available just on Outlook emails um, or maybe on Outlook emails that you're tracking dynamics or, or something like that. But I, I think kind of to your point about overcoming the habits, like I myself, I'm not gonna go and start writing emails out of dynamics. I'm gonna write them out of Outlook because that's where I do my emails. But I do like, like the, the auto capture stuff I think is actually kind of nice because then I don't necessarily have to remember to track everything when I'm in Outlook. But then if I'm on the dynamic side and going through and like, you know, updating my data and checking my stuff out, I'm like, oh, actually that email is related to this opportunity or to this lead or whatever. And I can track it from there instead of having to think, oh, wait, this person actually emailed me last week. Let me go back to Outlook, find the email, and then track it back in, into Dynamics. Like it's the, I think the auto capture streamlines that a lot and makes it a lot easier to actually track your emails. The thing that worries me about auto capture is does it bring all of your emails over to auto track or is it just that have like identified contacts? Because that, go ahead, Liz. It doesn't auto capture it though. Like it suggests it and it doesn't live in CE until you click track. So it's not like it's okay. just bringing all that data in. I get asked that a lot, like people get worried. And so it's just a suggestion and it's still up to you to hit that track button until you do that. The data, it doesn't actually live in CE. Yeah. Cause I'd just be worried about like personal emails. Like you're talking to your boss about like how difficult a customer is or pay raise or something like that. Like, do you really want that tracked in the system? And then potentially other people could see it. Like that could be a huge conflict, no. but other people no. won't be able to see it unless you track it. Unless you track it. Yeah. Okay. It's just going to be a suggestion for you. I think it even says that on there. It's like, mm -hmm. this information is only visible to you until you track it. Mm -hmm. Or something awesome. like that. But it's like, it's, it's surfacing that data, like real time out of exchange to say, Hey, this is another like batch of emails that you sent to this person. Do you want to track them? Mm -hmm. And you can say yes. And then it actually copies it over. 
or you say no or just ignore it and it stays in your mailbox yeah and your concern i think is very like valid ashley and that's why like most i don't know you normally recommend the like sync all my emails setting that you can turn on because i just don't think it's good to have everything integrate right because of that like there is going to be yeah. private or confidential information or email that you don't want to be like public in your ce system absolutely and you probably delete your emails in outlook a lot sooner than you go through what is in ce and like start deleting things or removing it so i could see that being a huge problem yeah yeah yeah. Um, so the thing with sales insights is like, what I've noticed is like, there's this, like you had mentioned it, Liz, is there's these standard products that come with it, but then you also have the premium. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on like, you know, that there's an upcharge for some of these or, cause you know, Marilyn, you had mentioned like, there hasn't been a lot of changes in sales for a while. And now we have to get an additional license to access all this AI stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it makes sense because it is giving you more kind of AI stuff like running all those AI models is going to cost Microsoft more to operate in their data center, right? So it makes sense that there would be an upcharge. And I think kind of to that point of like, because sales has been so static for so long, people kind of get complacent. Like if you, if you roll too many new features in at no extra cost, then I don't know, how are you ever going to justify cost increases later? And, and honestly, the, the additional things are quite numerous and give you a lot of capabilities. Mm -hmm. um, like the, all the different analytics, um, the, the who knows whom, which I think is actually kind of fun. So that's another thing that like is bringing dynamics and exchange closer together to be like, oh, well, you're emailing this lead. Well, this particular person is in Liz's address book and she emails that person all the time. So like, maybe you should talk to Liz before you reach out to this person. And like, that's exactly the sort of thing that you want to surface to your salespeople instead of having them go, okay, well, I got to remember to go like, look at open cases and I got to look at this and I got to look at this to see like, oh, okay, who's actually talking to this customer now? Like it's just presenting that to you to be like, these are the other individuals in your organization that are having a lot of contact with this particular customer. Now you know who you can ask and be like, oh, oh, Liz talks to this person a lot. Liz, what's the deal with these guys? And then you can just have a conversation about it. The one that always intrigues me is the forecasting. I've played around with it quite a bit. I know that it has a lot of room to grow. Like I'm not going to try to oversell it here. And for like our business model and how we price and do things in dynamic, we couldn't use it just yet, but I continuously try to test it to make sure, see if we can. Um, but like that for me is huge because you've always like, people have always said, oh, we want to use dynamics for forecasting. And then you like, excel, you know, you export everything to Excel, right? So then they can create their pivot tables and do all this stuff and match their quotas and, or the goals functionality is just not a hundred percent usable either. So the forecasting is hugely beneficial in my opinion. Do we feel like, do you guys feel like data quality isn't, would be a potential issue for sales teams with the forecasting? Cause all the salespeople I've worked with, like historically have been really bad at keeping their opportunities up to date and accurate, like from an estimated close day, estimated revenue, closing them out on time. And I feel like that's all, those are all the data points that the forecasting uses. So if that's not accurate, your forecast isn't going to be accurate. Yeah, that's so, true. Oh, go ahead then, Marlon. I was just going to say like, that's true, but I think the AI can learn to take that into account. Um, so one of the things 
that will be included in the show notes because I found it very valuable is this blog that talks about all the details on like how they do the predictive forecasting. And like they include in that forecast, like opportunities that they expect to be created that are not there yet. Yeah, like new opportunities. Right, so if the model can predict that you're gonna get more opportunities than you already have in the system, I feel like the model is gonna learn to take into account the fact that your salespeople maybe aren't keeping the data up to date until like the last moment or something. They're sandbagging. Right. And so we can, it can, I, I think it can take that into account. Sorry, go ahead, Ashley. Well, I, I think that's a good point because it can bring up those, but it also has a way to show things that are committed. Um, so that was one of the things that our like sales team always asks for. They're like, great that all these opportunities are expected to close in the next 30 days or 40, you know, 45, whatever it is, but what are we actually committing and promise? You know what I mean? There's a big difference between forecasting committed. Um, and the mm-hmm. tool actually has a way to identify what the salesperson's committing to. Um, which that part for me is the most beneficial, I would say, because you want to know what's actually going to close versus estimating. Yeah, I could see that being really helpful. And your other point, Liz, I've, we, before this forecasting tool was available, um, I had previously worked with a partner to build a forecasting tool right out of Dynamics and it put dates in based on what they're entering. It was actually really cool. Um, Used custom entities, um, pretty cool thing. And the salespeople learned very quickly um, how to update their opportunities because we would send out their forecasts and they would be like, no, this is completely wrong. I don't have that much. And we're like, well, this is what you have in the system. So they actually, so I've seen them be trained when you start to pull the forecasts out of dynamics directly. So if you're saying like, if you enable forecasting, perhaps they, and use that tool to forecast or CE to forecast, then perhaps they'll keep their data more up to date because they'll know it matters and it actually impacts it versus kind of managing that on the side. Cause I feel like a lot of teams just manage that somewhere else or in Excel or something. Absolutely. I think most companies probably do that today. Right. Hmm. It comes up in a one-on-one and that's it. Yeah. And it's on a spreadsheet and that's the only spreadsheet that makes it up to like the president or the person in charge of sales or whatever is the side spreadsheet. And they think it's coming out of dynamics, but it's probably not. Right. right. It should be, I think but. <laughs> it should be. Well, but that, like, I think that's a good point too. Like in addition to the AI model learning, you can also train your users. If, if the data that they're putting in is actually visible and someone's actually looking at it, then they're more likely to keep it up to date. Right. Whereas if you know, if you know that all the forecasting is coming out of that spreadsheet, you don't need to keep your opportunities and CRM up to date because nobody's looking at that data. It's always getting like cleaned up and put into the spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. So it's not a priority. Yeah. And I think that that also helps with the analytics ones, right? Like there's this no analytics relationship analytics. I mean, you can use like the more you put into the system and the more you tell it, the more it's going to spit back out. Um, because I know a lot of salespeople are like, Oh, it would take too much time to put all my activities in or put my notes in. So I just like a journal next to me. And I'm like, yeah, but if the system could take those notes and start to come up with next actions or next steps, or, Hey, because of these three phone calls, you can expect an opportunity in three months or something like that. Um, I just think that they'd be more likely to use the system. Right. The more that it helps them, the more than that they're interested and invested in using it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's, I guess, from my perspective, that's the value of most of the premium features is it, it gives you the opportunity to have salespeople, like to have the system actually help them instead of having the system just as record keeping for management. Because I feel like a lot of organizations, a lot of their you know opportunity tracking is just, 
I need to know, like I need my boss to be able to see what it is that I'm doing. And that's it. Like it's not helping me at all. It's only helping my boss. It's only helping the reports. And the, those premium features, a lot of them feedback around to actually help the salesperson. I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's going to help with data entry, right? Like it's going to ease that burden to a degree. It's going to help remind them and automate things and make suggestions intelligently. And that's, yeah, that's all new. I totally agree with you, Merlin, that it, it will help. And I think some of the stuff that, you know, maybe is, is still kind of early on, um, like the, you know, conversation intelligence and a sales accelerator and things like that, that those will just continue to improve with time. Yeah. I see that, you know, especially because it's a premium feature, this is where Microsoft is going to put their investment in R&D, um, but also because it's using AI. Like, I, I remember having this conversation with my boss saying, hey, you know, and not the current one, but I mean, all bosses, like, hey, we could start to use AI features in, in Dynamics. And just that the idea of using artificial intelligence is appealing to most people. Like, oh, gosh, we could use that. So, I mean, like, that's a way to sell it, too, is hey, we can start to use it. Microsoft's a, you know, unique AI and, and people bite at it. Yeah, that's a hot trend. Everyone wants to jump on board with that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true. Conveniently, it's a trend that Microsoft is, like, it's not just a trendy thing. Like, I feel like a lot of the Microsoft AI tools actually do what they're advertised to do, whereas... Mm -hmm. You know, maybe a few years ago, it was like, oh, AI was trendy, but you couldn't actually get it to do anything useful. And now it's like, I mean, that forecasting is you just configure a few things and it sorts the rest of it out. Like you don't, you don't need to hire a data scientist. You don't need to like spend months going through your data to come up with like the right AI modeling algorithm. It's like, oh, the tool will just take a bunch of your historical data and be like, well, does this model work? Uh, does this model work? Oh, that one's better. Okay, we'll use this model. And like it teaches itself over time. It's, it's pretty handy. I like that. What do you guys think the learning curve is for like salespeople to pick up these things? Because, you know, we've talked about the adoption. They don't want to use the system already. Can you imagine trying to teach them how to use these additional AI features? I mean, is there anything you have to teach them? Like you turn the features on and you configure it. And then suddenly they're getting stuff like fed to them. Right. I, I guess, guess but how do they interpret that and use it? I guess is like the training or the teaching part. Um, I've had, I, I would say most of my questions that I, you know, that I've ever worked with salespeople on are more how to interpret what they're looking at versus how to use it. Mm, that's fair. Liz, I don't know if you have any. Yeah. Thoughts. I mean, I guess from what I've seen it, it all seems fairly intuitive to me, but I mean, I'm also the one setting it up and configuring it and I understand the functionality and what it's doing. And so I could see, yeah, from a salesperson's perspective, if it's their first time being exposed to it, that you might want to give some context or recommendation around, hey, here's what it's doing and here's how it can help you. Is that what you're kind of getting at, Ashley? Yeah, I think so. Like how difficult do you think it is to explain like, hey, behind the system, there's AI doing these cool things that we don't know because it's, you know, Microsoft's proprietary software and it's going to feed you this. Like, are they actually going to trust it? Well, I think there are always suggestions too, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a suggestion. They don't have to do what it's, what it's recommending. And I think some of the stuff, um, like, 
the cards, I believe, like you can kind of rate them like thumbs up, thumbs down type of thing for some of it. And I think over time, like if they interact with it that way and give it feedback, like it can kind of adjust too. That's cool. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like if you can, if you can explain to them what data it's taking from them to give them something valuable back, you could say, if you put more of your activities in, then it will do a better job of, you know, opportunity scoring, for example. If you don't, then it won't give you that. And so you can encourage them to, well, try it on a few opportunities at first, like track more of your activities and see if the score is valuable. And then what you hope for is that they see that the score is valuable and then they start tracking more and more of their activities because now it's actually, you know, readjusting their opportunity list uh, on a score and saying, well, spend your time on this one because you're going to win it and don't worry about that one because you're probably not going to win it, right? And then you have to hope, I guess, then over time, they start to realize the value that the system is bringing them. Like, it's not going to be a, a, a three-day training course and suddenly they're like, all right, I'm on board. Like, I'm using all these AI features. Like, it's going to be kind of a slow burn over time to be like, as I do more data, as I use these tools, like they get a little bit better, they get a little bit smarter. Oh, this is actually saving me time. Oh, this is actually bringing me value. Oh, this did actually help in that sales cycle. And they'll just sort of slowly build up that trust, I think. I agree. That's, yeah, that's a question I get asked a lot just from sales leaders is like, hey, my people are putting all this information into it. It seems like it's only telling me back what I'm putting in. And I think that this bridges the gap between that, um, where you can start to get analytics and, you know, suggestions based on what you're putting in. So right. I think it answers that. It's pretty cool. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think to your point, Merlin, over time, if, if they use it, they try it, like they will realize that it helps them become more efficient and ultimately probably sell more. And once the salesperson realizes that, like they would be on board. Right. Sort of your ideal use case would be, you've got two top tier sellers and one of them starts to rely on the new features and the other one ignores the new features. And the one that's using the features starts selling more and more and more and more and more and the other one stays stagnant. And then you can use them as, as your poster children and be like, look, see, I mean, I don't know. I can't say for sure, but Jim over here is using these features. I mean, he seems to be selling a lot more than he used to. And John over there, he's kind of the same. He's not using the features. So, you know, you make your own decisions, salespeople. Mm-hmm. And that's so funny because it drives on the competitive nature of salespeople too. Right. Yep. So if you guys were looking at these, like, and you had to roll out, you know, one or two in the, like, just to start with, which ones would you guys recommend to people after kind of looking through them? Out of the premium list or just in general? Let's, let's start with uh, general. Let's start, maybe start with the standard and then go to the premium. Like, what are you guys' thoughts? Like, what do people have to have? Well, I think... I mean, if you standard, like you should be using auto capture and email engagement. And that's like basically takes no setup, right? I mean, so like to not use that would be kind of wasting out of the box functionality that's there. Um, And I guess I found like when I was looking into email engagement and stuff too, like I didn't realize it would like recommend email templates and like kind of rank and score those on their effectiveness. So I think there's a lot there that you can take advantage of that people really aren't doing or aware of today at least not the customers I've worked with (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, and any of the companies I've been, we are not either. Yeah, I agree. I would say the auto capture it would be the one thing that I would make sure was turned on, just because they're only suggestions. They might be helpful, but it makes it so that you don't have to jump back and forth between applications to get your to get your emails and activities tracked in. Uh, if you're on the premium feature list, I feel like the who knows whom um, is probably one of my favorites. Just is again, that, just because it gives you that visibility. Sorry. Is that kind of like Team Link in um, LinkedIn Sales Navigator, or do you not know what that is? Yeah, same it's idea. More in it's depth. A okay. Similar idea. It's but it's like Team Link is relying on your LinkedIn data exclusively, right? Whereas the who knows whom is actually trolling through your Exchange server. Like it's it's literally looking at who your coworkers are emailing to say yeah, that person emails this person a lot and showing like the strength of that relationship. Whereas team link is only going to show you if somebody's like connected on LinkedIn. And if you've mm -hmm. got, if you've got that one person on your team who just like accepts every invitation that they get from anybody in the entire world, like that team link data is not actually that valuable, right? Because you're like, oh, oh, you know, so-and-so. No, I have no idea who that is, but they sent me an invitation. So I connected with them. Like that's not, that's not that valuable. Whereas the who knows whom, like you're having active interaction with somebody that is valuable information. I wonder if that could be used to find out if salespeople are like stepping on each other's toes and emailing the same people. <laughs> I just, I, I mean, I always think of like a way to, um, like a better way to manage that in sales. I don't know if any of those tools do that, but like, I know that cross selling and that kind of thing tends to be a problem. That's fair. It'll probably show you, but you'd have to look like, I guess Each I'm assuming you'd have person. to look like one, one at a time, like individual basis. What about you, Liz, on the premium features? What are you like, people have to have this. Yeah, I think it depends on the need, like the requirement, to be honest. Like, I think if you need scoring, like now that's an out of the box feature when you used to have to look at a different solution for that. So I think it just depends on the team and like what their requirements are. Um, I know it's kind of a cop-out answer, but <laughs> did anything stand out to you that you were like, I'm going to go into organizations and be like, you have to have this, like no matter what their requirements are, there has to be one. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm going to agree with Merlin that I, I think the who knows whom was, was what I've been most excited about for a while. Like I remember seeing it, like it was under NDA and like previewed at Nashville summit with Merlin. Um, and thinking it was mm. awesome then. Remember that session? Um, I do remember that session. Yeah. It was awesome then. It was. <laughs> and that was like three years ago, probably. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's something like I've been excited about ever since I saw that. That was my first like exposure to it. Um, so I think that's just what is most fully baked right now. And like most impactful, like kind of across the board to like any sales organization. I think a lot of the other stuff has potential. Um, but like from what I've seen and heard, like the notes analysis, the talking points, like conversation intelligence, like th that stuff's just, I think, earlier on in its like life cycle of functionality, if that makes sense. I don't know how useful that would be right now for a team. I think it say, also depends on what you're selling. And right? Yes. Yeah. I'm going to say first, that was also a cop-out answer, Liz, because Marlon had already said it. But my next my, my next thing is, like, is any of this considered noise to the salesperson? Like, could you see it just being, like, if everybody turned everything on, 
like it's just going to be noise at some point. Yeah, I probably wouldn't try to turn it all on at once. Like I would prioritize based on the team's needs um, and kind of introduce them over time. I think it would be overwhelming to try to roll it all out at once. Right. Well, and like the talking points uh, to, to pick on poor talking points. And, and I felt this was the same case when it was the inside view equivalent of talking points or the LinkedIn like icebreakers. Like I, I think it depends on who you're approaching to sell to, whether or not those are value add. And like in some industries and in some organizations, you're cold calling people that you don't really know, but you want to like find a quick connection with them. Then I maybe there is great value there, but if you're I mean, if you're a, a Microsoft partner and you're trying to sell services to companies, you already are getting enough information like from the customer that you're, you're not cold calling anybody that has not already raised their hand, right? And so you don't necessarily need to use that same level of like, hi, uh, I'm so-and-so from wherever, and I'd like to tell you today about extending your car's warranty. You're not uh, a telemarketer. Talk, <laughs> right. Let me talk about these specific talking points. Like, I, they, they just don't apply in some industries. Like, that's not who you're calling. Yeah, and that's yeah, why that's my good... answer... Go ahead, Ashley. No, no, no. Go ahead, Liz. I think we we're going to say the same thing. Well, I was going to say that's why I said it depends, right, on who you are in your business, on what's, like, what would be the highest priority out of the premium features list to deploy. Yeah, and I was going to say that was a good point that Liz made earlier about assessing your requirements or your needs um, before you roll these out because some things might be more beneficial sooner or some things are just newer. So you might want to give it some time to bake. Mm-hmm. Right. I do like, though, I feel, Ashley, you brought up a very good point earlier that using the, the assistant cards as your method of notification for things, I think it's a good use case that you could probably apply in most of the organization as well. I but you probably, yeah, and you probably need the premium relationship assistant mm-hmm. right most of the time. Yeah. Right. I will let you guys know how it goes. <laughs> Please well, do. I'll be curious to hear. I'm also probably going to be deploying them. If, if my customer gets the premium level, we'll be deploying them in the same way for the project I'm on. So we can awesome. do a follow-up podcast on it. We should. <laughs> That'd be exciting to hear, like, if it was successful and how the salespeople took okay. it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd awesome. like to know. <laughs> um, anything else you guys have like on sales insights that you found interesting or have used? Mm. I'll just, I'll, you know, the one thing that I think everyone should just know is like, they're like, we talked about the standard and the premium, right? So like, there's obviously an upcharge for the premium one. So make sure you have the right license before you start to sell like, hey, we can do all this AI stuff, but then come to find out. And I think Liz, you talked about that in one of your first, one of our first podcasts is just understand what licensing you have. Yeah, um, if you want the premium features, the license is $135 per user per month right now. And I say right now because license, licensing changes all the time, but yeah, it does not come with your standard like enterprise or professional or team level CE sales license. Right. Uh, conveniently, there's a nice overview page that lists these out in nice colorful boxes. These are the features you get for free and these are the features you have to pay for. 
Yep. And that will uh, probably be in the show notes if you're watching this on the website. I do hope so. <laughs> um, no, I think I, I like the, I like a lot of the premium features, but I mean, like we discussed, I think there's still value add in those, in some of those free features. And I mean, even, even if you can't get the custom cards in the assistant, it, it can't help, can't hurt to turn it on and get users used to like seeing those, showing them something, anything, you know, do you want to follow up on this opportunity? You haven't touched it for two weeks kind of things. Um, just so that they kind of get adapted and used to it before you decide to roll out more. I think that can also build a case study for buying the premium. If there's great yeah. adoption with the standard assistant, um, you can go and say, hey, we could get create this much more value because um, that one's a direct connection to another premium, you know, premium option. So yeah, that's a good point. Yep. I guess the last thing I want to point out that I, I didn't realize was there initially was like, you can draft an email. Now this is assuming that you're using email engagement and sending the email out of CE, but you can save like a draft email and schedule it to send at like the optimal time of day based on who you're sending it to. Um, and that's something I know when I was a salesperson, like I would just send the email as soon as I wrote it, but not think about, is this the best time to get this person to read it? Um, and it takes time zone into factor too, if you have Bing Maps enabled. So that's just something I thought was interesting um, that I could see salespeople leveraging. They must have taken that from Dynamics Marketing because when I was working with that a couple of years ago, like they had that feature where you could either send the email, you know, schedule it at one time or you could schedule it at everyone's optimum time. So that's also data that Microsoft is collecting from when those people open your emails and then they'll start to fall into blocks. So it'll just say, hey, the next time that there is an optimal time, it'll send. So right. I love to see that cross between the products that that's yeah. from Dynamics Marketing. That's awesome. Yeah. And so you can choose like the systems recommend an optimal time or pick a, to like just schedule it for the time you want it to either one. But I just thought, yeah, that was a really cool feature that we're, I'm not used to using or having. Yeah. I didn't know you could do it on a one-to-one -one email. That is actually almost huge. Yeah. Nice. And it's a free one. Yeah. There you go. Value as really part of email engagement. I was, I was like, this is really cool. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think that's everything we have for today. Um, any last thoughts? Nope. No. Cool. Well, we're excited for next time and talk to you guys later. Bye. See you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Dynamics Hot Dish Podcast. For additional content and previous episodes, check out our website at dynamicshotdish.com. Follow us on Twitter at Dynamics Hot Dish and subscribe to our podcast for notifications. Thanks. See you next time.